Today we're concluding our teaching series that we've been calling I've Been Wondering. Uh, and next weekend we're going to start a new Advent series called God on Your Doorstep. So hope you can be here for that. But in this series as we walk through, we've been considering questions that are commonly asked in our day. And, and this week's question has to do with one of the most audacious things that Jesus ever said. And he said a lot of audacious things. I mean, for example, this is one who said, I and the Father are one. In other words, I'm, I'm God. He was the one who gave the guidance, you need to love your enemies. It's better to give than, than to receive. It'll be the meek who inherit the earth. And, and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, Jesus said all kinds of outlandish things that, that just cut against the grain of human nature. We're, we're radically countercultural. Uh, but certainly, one of the most, most outrageous things Jesus ever said, perhaps the most politically incorrect words ever to come from the lips of Jesus, are found in the verse in the Gospel of John. If you want to turn there with me. And, and I want us to actually hear the context around that verse because the context actually gives even greater accentuation to Jesus' words. So we're in John 14, if you want to turn there. And friends, this is the word of God. And beginning in verse 1 we read, And Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And, and we would say to that, well, other leaders, spiritual leaders could say something like that, but Jesus doesn't end there. His words give even more outrageous. In verse two, in my father's house. Now just pause there again and understand to Jesus and his listeners, they all understood that when Jesus referred to the father, he was referring to God. So he was saying in God's dwelling place are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How would we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Those are bold words. And in fact, here, verse 6 again. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, to God, except through me. Now, if that proclamation sounds kind of pivotal for you, I mean, you are perceiving rightly there. Because really, you could almost say that all of Scripture leading up to John 14, 6 was really preparing the way for this proclamation. And all of Scripture following John 14, 6 is, is really just an expansion and application of the verse, this verse's implications in eternal outworkings. I had a friend named John. He was new to our church, now lives in another city. Bright, successful guy. 
And he hadn't been to a church since he was a kid. He, by his own words, he'd say he was really, really wasn't spiritual at all. But he, had, he and his wife had two young children, and admirably, they thought it would be a good thing for their kids to have some kind of spiritual education. So he and his wife and the kids started coming to church. And after I preached one weekend, John asked to meet me for a coffee. And, and over coffee, he said to me, I, I think I heard you say during your talk that Jesus is the only way to God. And, and I appreciate your teaching, but I find it really difficult to say to, to Buddhists or, or Muslims, to Hindus, that you're right and they're all wrong. That wasn't exactly how I put it, but that's how he, what he heard. And, and then he said, how can you believe something that is so intolerant, that is just so self-centered and unaware? And, and I'll tell you, he, he wasn't the first person by any means to ask me that question. And I would imagine that many of you have been asked, or, or maybe you're even asking yourself a, a similar question. There was a 19th century Hindu saint. His name was Ramakrishna. This is what he wrote. God has made different religions to suit different aspirants, times, and countries. All doctrines are only so many paths, but a path is by no means God himself. Indeed, one can reach God if one follows any of the paths with wholehearted devotion. One may eat a cake with icing either straight or sideways. It will taste sweet either way. And, and friends, that's why a Hindu can declare Krishna is Lord and Jesus is Lord at the same time. So taking all that together, it leads to the question I want us to look at together this week. Today, here's our question. How could there be only one way to God? I mean, certainly there are other paths to God along with Jesus. Because I think it's safe to say, Rama Krishna's words are far more aligned to our day, aren't they? And I'll add this, this is another one of those questions that we intentionally come back to here and address every few years together because it is that important a question and I know as well it is that unsettling for some and confusing. And it's a question worth considering for many of you here who might be here and you're just investigating Christ, just checking things out. And it really might be that this teaching we read in John 14 feels like kind of an impediment to you. Where you might be feeling, okay, I can buy that Jesus might be one way to God, but can't you even acknowledge there are other ways as well? Or, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And, and, and for you, this claim of Jesus is one that really you kind of wince at, honestly. And, and you know if somebody who's not a follower of Christ challenges you about why Jesus made this outrageous statement, you're not quite so sure what you would say. Ever feel that? But, but, but this study, our study today is not just for those who are asking the question personally. And a number of years ago, we had dinner with a group of friends and around the table, there were a breadth of really beliefs, spiritually speaking. And, and this question that we're considering today came up around the table. And, and again, I'm sitting there, I knew indeed this is what Jesus taught, but I, but I didn't feel I knew how to respond well, or really helpfully to the question. And I do, I think it's helpful if we can say more than just, well, read this verse, that's what Jesus said. 
So it might be beneficial for even take notes today as we walk through this and reflect on it together. And I know as well, some of you might be asking, why can't we just agree on God and leave, leave Jesus' claim here kind of out of it? To which I, I just want us to be clear on from the beginning and understand this. The teaching of this Christian faith we walk in, it depends entirely on the truth and truthfulness of Jesus Christ. Entirely. So today, I want us to reflect on this question together. And we'll reflect on it as a, as a way of studying it, not unlike our question we looked at last weekend. The, the reality is this, in our main question day, there are other kind of sub-questions. And so we're gonna walk through five questions that help us address and understand this larger main question, all right? F five questions we'll walk through. So, so let's start here. here. Here's question one. Don't all religions essentially teach the same thing? Re really, kind of as Ramakrishna taught, aren't we all kind of just saying the same thing? Or to put it another way, aren't we all just giving just a slightly different emphasis on things because each faith, each spirituality has a slightly different perspective on the same reality? I mean, isn't it kind of like that, that old Buddhist analogy, if you've heard it, where, where the world's faiths are, are described like four blind men who, who walk into a large room with an elephant in it. And each blind man wanders in and, and feels a different part of the elephant. One of them just feels only the trunk, another just the leg of the elephant, another the, only the tail, and, and still another just the tusk of the elephant. And, and so really, they, they each make different conclusions about what an elephant is like because they've just touched one part of it. So really, aren't the world's kind of various religious teachings kind of like that? That we each just express or present a different part of what God is like. And, and, and many do claim that and, and argue that really kind of we all together have just a small share in the truth as we approach God from just our unique different angles. And, and so to address this, I want to address this with a bit of depth to, to give it its due consideration. So, so let's start here. I mean, just consider this. I mean, take for example, what different faiths and spiritualities teach about the fundamental reality of the world? Meaning, what is prime reality? What is God like, our view of God? So let's move through them. For example, if you look at Hinduism, Hindus teach that there's this overriding collective soul. And underneath that reality, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of deities and gods that could be worshiped. If you move to Buddhism, the original Buddha never taught anything about any god or, or divine force. And it might have been because he didn't think God was relevant, but more likely it was because he believed he was non-existent. Or followers of Christ. Okay, we, we teach that there's one God, and he expresses himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you go to Islam, the, the first pillar of Islam is that there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Now, just even that very quick overview, I think you can tell like, these are not basically the same thing. I mean, millions of God, no God, one God, three in one. So, so we need to ask, which teaching reflects reality? Or, or what about how different spiritualities teach about what happens to us after death? 
and, and on that, some religions teach that we teach that we keep on being reborn based on how good or evil we've been in our life. Others teach that when we die, kind of, that's it. We cease to exist. And, and others teach that after death, there, there's an afterlife where we each in some way will stand before God. So again, we should rightly ask, okay, which of those accurately reflects reality? Or, or on that big question of what makes us acceptable to God? How do we enter a relationship with God? Is it based on our beliefs or on our moral actions? Is it based on our religious actions? Because different religions and spiritualities differ widely on this. which led one writer to put it this way. All world religions are basically the same, except for issues of God, humanity, the problem with the world, the solution to that problem, what happens to us after death, and what kind of morals we should live by. Other than that, they all pretty much teach the same thing. The esteemed religion historian, Dr. Harold Netland, puts it this way. It is highly misleading to speak as if all religions share a common goal of salvation and relationship with God and simply differ on the means to reach it. We need to realize that the truth is the teachings of the world's different faiths are fundamentally different on even the most basic issues. We do not all generally kind of teach the same thing. Now, Now, having said that, I want to be clear on this. Other religions and their leaders can and do offer some wise teaching, even helpful advice at times on how to live life. And, and really to believe in Jesus actually means I'll agree with other faiths on many, many points. And, and certainly it means I, I will love, honor, and serve people of other faiths, even though we disagree. But let's be clear as well. Friends, it is not respectful but, but rather is disrespectful to, to say that the main religions of the world all really teach the same thing. I mean, in kindness and respect, we, we can and really should acknowledge, wow, we really differ on some fundamental things. I mean, just consider this, for example. Just one verse, Paul's words to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 2, this is what Paul wrote in verse 8. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. That, that is just a couple of verses there. And understand, that is a distinct, unique religious teaching. So let's be clear on this. Reality is Christianity is fundamentally different than the other world religions. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it is true, but let's just acknowledge, boy, we teach very different things. Which I think leads then to a corresponding second question. Question number two for us just to consider together. Okay. So j did Jesus actually teach he was the only way to God? I mean, could it be that we've kind of misunderstood things or, or been too extreme with his teaching in some way? And, and I think that is a really important question to ask and be clear on. Because, again, we've already heard what Jesus said in John 14. Let's just look at a few other of his teachings in the Gospel of John. For example, if you just go a bit earlier in John to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 12, this is what we read. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or, or move over to John 10, and look at what Jesus said in John 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And know this as well, kind of taking things from the other side, look at what Jesus said a little farther on in John chapter 12 and verse 48. Jesus said this. Jesus said, the one who rejects me, who does not receive my words, has a judge. And the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And, and let's be clear on this as well. It wasn't just Jesus who taught this way. <laughs> Listen to his followers. And in fact, other New Testament teachings. If you just jump over to the book of Acts. In Acts. In Acts chapter 4. This is the Apostle Peter here. Understand, he is speaking to the Jewish high priests and elders. So he is speaking to a very devoted, very committed, very spiritual or religious people. And this is what he said to them, Acts 4.12. In fact, let's read this together. Read it with me. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation, he makes it clear. Peter says, in no one else. Or, or take the disciple John. The, the one of whom it was said, this is the disciple that Jesus loved. Listen in his second epistle, this is what John wrote. Second John, verse nine. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And again, the, the, this is just a few examples. We could just keep going through this because this teaching flows throughout the New Testament. And really, if you're one who's following Christ and, and wondering about this reality, I think we also need to consider this. Okay, if, if Jesus was not the only way to God, if, if there are indeed other pathways to God and relationship with him for, for life and for eternity, then we need to ask, why then did God allow his own son to die? When Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed to be spared from the torment that was ahead on him on the cross, why then would Jesus go to the cross if there were already other good pathways to get us to God? Or added to that, think about the Apostle Paul, the other disciples. If Paul and the disciples, if, if they believed there were many ways to God, why would all of them, except for John, have given their lives, suffered martyrdom, because they kept declaring there is one way to God. You're invited to it, and it's Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, if there were many ways to God, wouldn't the disciples have preached something more like, oh, yeah, Jesus is one wonderful way to God, but other pathways can lead you to God as well. I'll, I'll tell you, it, it is not a stretch. It's not a stretch to say that the message and teaching of Christ and really of the entire New Testament are, are really senseless if there are indeed many different pathways to forgiveness, to salvation, to a living relationship with God. 
I mean, and, and the reality is, just subjectively, Jesus and his most trusted followers, they unwaveringly claim that he was the only path to God. So, so we need to be aware of this. If there are indeed many different pathways to get us to God, this word and, and Jesus' teaching is false. It, that, that doesn't mean it's true. We need to recognize that, though. Which leads, I think, to another question, a third question for us. Okay, but isn't it arrogant and narrow-minded to say that other beliefs are an error? And, and, and just a note on this, I, I think one of the reasons why the teaching of Jesus on this sounds arrogant to some is because followers of Christ often say it with such arrogance. You know what I mean? I mean, at, at times it feels like there's little love in our voice when we speak of it. It's almost like at times that, that we're more concerned with just winning an argument than with actually and truly introducing someone to the wonder of gift of life in Jesus. But with that, let's understand. Friends, it's, it's not just the Christian faith. Every world religion and spiritual teaching, everyone makes exclusive claims. At everyone. Again, take Islam for instance. We already referred to the first pillar of Islam, that there's one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Just be aware, that's an exclusive claim. I mean, Islam teaches that if you don't be, believe in Allah, if you don't believe that Muhammad is his prophet, then you are wrong. Or the same thing could be said of Buddhism. Because the Buddha actually taught that the eightfold path is the way to attain enlightenment. I mean, if you try and work another way, you're, you're not going to attain enlightenment. Again, that's another exclusive claim. Or if you take Unitarian teaching, and Unitarians are ones who, who teach that there are indeed many paths to God, and, and that you can really work many different kinds of ways to get to God. But, but understand, that claim in itself is an exclusive claim. If, if somebody came up to a Unitarian and said, actually, no, I think there's one pathway to get to God, they're very specific about this, and they say, no, there are many pathways to God. So all that leads us is this. Friends, every one of us, we need to make a personal choice. We, we need to reflectively and wisely consider, what do I believe on this? And, and if someone does ask you, okay, did, did Jesus make exclusive claims, or, or more specifically, is Christianity an exclusive kind of faith? I, I would encourage you to just point them again to the Gospel of John. In Jesus' words, he, he said in John chapter 3, and, and this is what Jesus said, John 3 and, and verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I mean, Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. I mean, understand, Jesus' arms are open wide. I mean, our king, Jesus, is radically inclusive. Meaning, regardless of your race or your age, your gender, your socioeconomic status, your, your religious background, everyone is invited, welcome to come to Jesus. But also, Jesus prescribes very clearly the way to be able to come to God. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
And we hear that and we might even respond in your mind, man, what about tolerance? Can we speak to that for a moment? Let's understand on this. To be truly tolerant, to be truly tolerant does not mean we hold that everyone's beliefs are equally true. That's just nonsensical. But understand, authentic tolerance, what our world desperately needs, what authentic tolerance is, it, it means that I treat those with whom I disagree with love and grace and respect. Right? I mean, we, we need to listen to and learn from all people. But it doesn't mean we need to just kind of blanket agree with all people. And, and let's be aware of this. As, speaking of it, something very encouraging to know. Friends, we can love and respect others. We can enjoy being with them even while having very different views on spiritual matters, right? Isn't that possible? <laughs> and here's the reality. I, honestly, they will likely know it. I hope my friends of other faiths would come to know Jesus. They hope I would come to follow Islam or Mormonism or their faith. And we're aware of that, but we can still enjoy one another's friendship even while disagreeing, right? <laughs> but along that pathway, we stay aware of the teachings of Scripture. For example, Paul, when he wrote to the church in Galatia and, and made it very clear with this guidance, Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he, he wrote, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness, a relationship with God in holiness, if righteousness could be gained through the law, that is, if there was indeed another way to gain righteousness, if there was another way to a relationship with God, look what he says. Christ died for nothing. Fairly blunt, isn't it? Paul's saying if there are other pathways by which we can gain righteousness, relationship with God, it means nothing that Christ died on the cross. He didn't need to. I mean, it, it's one or the other, not both. Paul says. That's his words. So a fourth question. Okay, but if, if Jesus is the only way to God, is that fair to those who've never heard of him? And, and let me just touch on this insufficiently. Some of the things we do know from Scripture is this. We know the God of creation is a God of love, right? Our whole definition, understanding of love, comes from him because he is love. We also know that God is just. That, that, and so therefore we can be assured of this. Our God will treat those who have not heard of Jesus justly. And I can also assure you of this from Scripture. There will be people in God's eternal kingdom who did not hear about Jesus during their earthly life. I guarantee it. I can name a few of them. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, King David, Ruth. And, and friends, there will be others. But understand this, the only way any in history will gain entrance to eternity with God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf. And, and be aware of this as well, as the Holy Spirit is working among us, through the Holy Spirit, someone who authentically wants to know God will begin to recognize the importance of Jesus when they do hear about him. Be encouraged with that. I don't know if you know the name of Don Richardson. For many years, he was a missionary to Indonesia. And he described one pr fairly primitive tribe's response 
to him when he first told them about the good news of Jesus and that Jesus was a way for them to enter a relationship with God. He presented the gospel. You know what their response was? Oh, we knew all this, (laughs) but we didn't know what his name was. But clearly as well, friends, this is part of the reason we're charged to go into the world and support those who go into the world for the very purpose of telling all nations that Jesus is the way. And and so Paul, again, gives these profound words of guidance to us as we follow Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses who? All who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, the door is wide open to everyone. And, and now listen to Paul's progression here in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless, friends, we are sent? That that is our mission. That's what we go out with to let others know of the wonder and beauty and gift of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's our mission. And so let me close with a fifth question. Question five is just this. Okay, with all that then? All right. So why would there be only one way to God? Why why would that be the case? Because we know this, there have been other very moral, admirable spiritual teachers and leaders beside Jesus. Why is it just through Jesus? And I'll tell you, this is critical in our understanding. Why just through Jesus? Because according to Scripture, and really the teaching of Christ followers across history, and actually contrary to the teaching of almost all of the world's main religions and spirituality, understand the obstacle to you and me walking in full relationship with God in this life and for eternity, the obstacle to that is not that you and I lack just spiritual enlightenment or spiritual improvement, behavioral adjustment or, or moral guidance or good works or, or some kind of Gnostic wisdom. Understand that the obstacle to you and I coming to God is our brokenness. It's our, it's our fallenness, our sinfulness. That each one of us, whether we recognize it or not, needs to receive forgiveness, healing from all our sinfulness, our our moral brokenness and failings, which we can do nothing on our own to attain. But praise God, our situation is not helpless. In fact, here's how the Apostle Paul described both our condition and our need. Listen to his words in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, that means in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. And how was all this accomplished? Read it with me. This God set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. And so why through Jesus? Because we needed a savior. And so Jesus, the conqueror of death, the one who resurrected, the the sacrificial lamb, the risen king says, therefore I am the way. I am the truth and the life. That's why no one can come to the Father except through me. 
because I alone am the one who conquered death on your behalf, who took the payment for all your brokenness on myself. I entered death so you could have life. And I, I, I'm still aware of this. For some, it still sounds really narrow-minded. There's only one way. But I, I think there's a deeper issue. It, it isn't the deeper issue. Man, why is there any way to God at all for us? I mean, God, those, we've turned against him in our lives. And, and God's still graceful and merciful. has provided a way back to us to a personal relationship with him. Though we rebelled against him. Man, why did he even provide a way for us? We say it often here, and let me say it again. Understand this. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus came to do away with all religion. I mean, Jesus came, he brought the end of religion as a way to try to attempt to get to God. And instead, he offers himself in its place, that the risen king on our behalf. And he offers through himself then, not just for this life, but for eternity, a relationship with God. And that can transform lives, friends. You know, talking with my friend John about a year later, and we'd met for coffee every so often through that year and just had great conversations, ongoing questions that he brought. And, and, and through the year, you could just tell John and his wife were changing. And I asked him about a year later, okay, so where are you at with Jesus? And, and he paused and said, I don't know if he usually works this way. All, all I know is this. When we first met, I was really skeptical about what Jesus taught. And, and I don't know when the change happened, but now our faith is holy in Jesus Christ. So can I ask you a personal question? What about you? How will you respond to Jesus? And I want you to be clear on this as well. It, it is not enough merely to acknowledge that Jesus is the way to God. I mean, you might be one of the 65% or so of Canadians who do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and, and that is great. It's a great first step, but understand, that's only a first step. Jesus said that we need to take a personal step in this. We need to take a step of faith. It, it means that you and I, we, we need to put our faith, our trust in him in the one who died and rose. I, I will place my life in him for eternity. And I want to ask you, might today be the day where you would say to God, okay, now I, I do, I place my faith, I place my trust, I place my life in Jesus. And I receive the forgiveness he offers, the eternal life he offers me. And for some of you, I'm praying, this would be that day. So can we do this? Can we pray together? Will you bow your heads with me? And I just, in, in a moment before I pray, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God in the silence. And even in silent prayer, if your heart is such that you'd say, 
I, I want Jesus. I, I want the life he offers. I want forgiveness. I want eternal life. I'd invite you just to pray to him in the silence, in a silent prayer to God. And in fact, if it would help, let, I can prompt you along. You could say something like this to him, if this reflects your heart. Father, I acknowledge I, I am broken, I'm fallen. I need forgiveness. And, and so on this day, I, I put my faith, I put my trust, my life in, in Jesus Christ. I, I pray you would guide me in following him by the power of your spirit. I, I receive forgiveness in Christ and life now and for eternity in him. Thank you for this gift. And Father, I would pray by your grace for, for each one of us, wherever we are, perhaps if we've just expressed that prayer or still considering the claims of Jesus or seeking to walk with him, I pray you would guide us in knowing him that you would free us from the traps of just religious endeavors and, and, and draw us to encounter yourself, please. So guide us along this pathway, we ask. And, and thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus. Would you use us to be winsome ambassadors, gracious ambassadors, Father, who whether it be through our words or even just through our actions, express the beauty of who Christ is. And this we ask again in his name. And all God's people say, amen.